Good morning, church. Hope you've had a hope we had hope you've had a good week. Um, this morning we're continuing in this study through First Corinthians, and so if you got a Bible, you can go on and open up or click to First Corinthians chapter six. We'll be there here in just a second. Um, but we're calling this study rivalry because uh, what a lot of what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about was that there was rivalry going on in the church. And so what we did is we, we just kind of looked at 1 Corinthians, and I, I found five major issues. So we spent the first week kind of in a brief overview of the letter, really just looking at the church as bigger than any individual or bigger than any um, even any one church um, because God's already at work in a lot of ways. Week two, we looked at when factions divide. We talked about how our preferences oftentimes can rise above simple preferences and can actually cause division in the church, and we can't let that happen. Last week, we looked at when family issues divide, and we saw that Paul actually gives authority to the church to speak into the lives of families and to encourage and challenge one another. And so that was a lot of fun. We really focused on the idea of humility um, in our marriages and in, uh, in fatherhood and friendships, just that the, the humility is what we need. So we're kind of building on that just a little bit this week, um, unintentionally, except that that this is what Paul talked about. But um, today we're acknowledging that conflict will arise in the church. Conflict will arise, okay? Um, but there is a proper response that Paul pushes for and really kind of uh, really leads us to. So we're talking about, we're calling this today when friction divides, okay? When friction divides. And so the definition, according to dictionary.com, you know, you got to trust that, right? Um, I didn't like Merriam-Webster's. I was going to use Merriam-Webster, much more dependable source. Uh, I didn't like how how is Miriam a guy or a girl? That's his last name. So it's Miriam and Webster. There's two different ones. That's very helpful. Thank you. So um, I didn't like it. All right. So I went dictionary.com. <laughs> one step above uh, Wikipedia. All right. Friction is the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. And so when two things move in opposite directions, there's a resistance, there's a friction that occurs. It's why when, you, why when we're cold, we rub our hands together, right? Because it warms them up. That resistance actually creates heat, okay? Now, I believe when, when we know that when friction occurs, when two objects are in close proximity and they move in opposite directions. I believe that's a great example of what happens in the church. If a local church is doing what they're supposed to do, then its people will be close. They're going to be talking regularly, worshiping together, studying the Bible together, confessing sin to one another, encouraging and challenging one another, simply doing life together. They're going to be in close proximity and in the midst of all that interaction, don't you think that friction is inevitable, right? It's inevitable. It will occur. So we're flipping back a page. to first. We were at 1 Corinthians 7 last week because the conversation started in chapter 5 and then ends in chapter 7. But he puts this piece in the middle in chapter 6. Um, Paul's addressing a particular issue that comes up in which uh, there was clearly at least one situation where you had a church member who was suing another church member. Now, that would be a very pointed sermon that may not speak to any of you, okay, unless you have, you know, sued another church member or thinking about it in the future. But you can see what we're going to look at is that 
what the principles that Paul presents in this chapter have much farther reach than simply an actual lawsuit. So it's really dealing with all things conflict-related, okay? So I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come back and break it down a little. So let's start in verse 1. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, uh, oh, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that... Um, that, God, you've given us your word, God, to, uh, to guide us and to, God, but to ultimately to teach us about you uh, so that we may know your character and, God, we may know um, the depths of who you are as you've revealed them to us in your word. And, Father, I pray that today as we look at your word, God, that you would draw us all closer to you and, God, help us better understand how to deal with conflict with one another in the church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, This morning, I want to show you one obvious truth from Paul. Then we're going to do a science experiment. That's a loose term, science experiment, but you'll see. And then we're going to come back, and I'm going to show you two more really intense, really three kind of intense truths uh, from this passage, okay? So that's kind of where we're going, all right? So number one is simple. Friction is inevitable, all right? Friction is inevitable. Notice when Paul begins this issue, right? Verse 1, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? What is, Paul doesn't say, how dare you have issues with one another. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, how dare you deal with them wrongly? Paul is, seems to be beginning with the assumption that when God's, even God's people, when we are living in close proximity as Paul commanded the church to do, that there will be conflicts that arise. There will be friction. The church at Corinth, they were hopefully, in, in some ways, doing what God had called them to do. They were living as one body. There were bound to be disagreements, conflicts, or hurt feelings. Listen, if you are new to this church, this may be your first time... You may be a first-time guest today. We are not perfect people here at East. We are not a perfect body, okay? Um, mainly because they have an imperfect pastor, okay? So 
I am not a perfect man. I will make lots of mistakes as your pastor, at least at some point in the next 50 years of our time together. That's an estimation. I don't know what the Lord will do. I will walk by you and not speak at some point because I'm distracted. Like on a day when you really need me to encourage you, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk by and not speak to you on accident, like not on purpose. I might say something from the pulpit or to you that accidentally hurts your feelings. I promise you I don't do it intentionally. But like there are all these things that are going to arise. I may forget to call you when you have surgery. I may not be there for your family when you need me. Now, you're new to the church. Multiply that by over 200. Like that's the disappointment. That's the, that's the friction that occurs in the local church. Like it's just inevitable. Friction is inevitable. Problems are going to arise. I've been in church my whole life and I've seen disagreements and issues over every single possible thing because the church in some ways is no different from the world outside. Now don't stone me. Just wait a second. The church in some ways is no different from the world outside. When you get this many people together living in close proximity together, we will argue. We're not going to get along. We're not going to see eye to eye on everything because we're not quite fully like Jesus yet. We're still growing and learning what it means to be like Jesus. There will be times where feelings get hurt. The difference between the church and the world outside is that we as Christians have a God-given calling and command to deal helpfully with our issues. That's the difference. We've been called to deal with them in a, in a proper way. Friction is inevitable, but it doesn't have to be detrimental. Okay? It can actually be a good thing. I know that sounds crazy. Okay? I know it does. But I want to help you see what I mean. Um, by my science experiment. All right? So... I want to show you what friction looks like in the church. Christians are a lot like balloons, okay, <laughs> full of hot air. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but just like a second. All right. Now, if church were, <laughs> if it popped now, that would be awful. If, if church were just me, it would be so much easier. Like if I didn't have to deal with all y'all, if I could just come and worship God on my own, right? I'm not speaking as me. Like that's all of us, right? It would be so much easier if Christianity was just about us and God, but it's not, right? We don't get to live by ourselves. There are other, there are other people. Let me blow these up for the second service. I like this. It's fun. It is fun. microphone really helps, doesn't it? You can hear all the spit going in there too. All right. Now, this is more like what Christianity... I'm not going to blow up a bunch, but just two, okay? So this is more what Christianity looks like. It's impossible to be the church by yourself. The Bible gives us at least 50 or so one another statements in the New Testament to pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. And as I like to say, you can't one another by yourself. Amen. It takes other people. Actually, for us to be obedient to God, we have to live in community with other people. And so when you get two people, we have these two Christians now, and these two Christians are spending time together in holy ways, not doing all the things that I just talked about. What is bound to happen? Friction, right? They're bound to disagree on stuff. They're bound to one of them being in a bad mood. 
and say something to hurt the other person's feelings. And so the friction just continues and it continues. Oops. All right. And it just, it, this is some, this is, this will happen. The list could go on and on. Um, we could keep going with that. But the friction, I'm, I'm of course, signifying by rubbing these two together. Now, what happens when I pull them apart? Hopefully. We need a little bit more friction. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do my hair. Y'all, I tested this and it was doing so good. We'll go faster. Lots of friction. Okay. Y'all know what's supposed to happen. All right, we're going to have to... <laughs> okay. There we go. Good night. All right. Now, it's very important though, okay? These balloons are not damaging each other as the friction occurs. Why? Because they're pliable, right? They give to the needs of the other, right? As this balloon pushes into that one, what happens? They give, right? The only way that friction friction is good is when we're when that friction is occurring is if we think about the other person and if we're humble and if we allow room to give we allow grace right when that happens friction can actually be a good thing and it actually can hold us together right that's actually a good thing married couples amen some of the strongest strongest marriages I've ever experienced in ministry were people that at one point in their marriage had a an seemingly unovercomable issue. Heavy friction. Really, really hot friction. But they forgave one another. And the forgiveness that occurred because of that friction actually formed a stronger bond, right? And the church is no different. If we will take, our, take, take love towards one another and show humility and seek reconciliation over issues with one another, oftentimes our relationships will be stronger. However, friction doesn't always bond. What happens... When friction, when the other person isn't forgiving, right? What happens when the person that you're rubbing up against is, is hard and unforgiving and, and not giving to your needs at all but is only thinking about self-centeredness? What happens? We get our feelings hurt and we don't forgive and there's no reconciliation and there's nothing. And I'm not going to pop it because I already see you all holding your ears, okay? It'll be okay. But if I rub these two together, what's going to happen? It's going to pop. And so I won't, okay, because I see some of y'all already panicking, okay? We'll save that for the second service. Oh, it'll work. Doesn't it, Patrick? I tested it earlier, and I, didn't, I barely even touched it. All right. But that's what happens, right? Because, because if we're unforgiving, if we're, not, um, if we're not giving in to one another, if we're not giving towards the other person, the outcome is brokenness. Friction has two outcomes for us as Christians. It can bond us together through forgiveness and reconciliation or it will destroy us. 
And those are the options that we're given in our relationships. If we aren't willing to show humility and give towards one another, like we talked about last week with humility, the inevitable friction that happens will erupt and lead to broken relationships and two people who aren't even willing to speak to one another at all. There are two ways to respond to friction with humility and forgiveness or in self-centeredness and blame. God's word pushes for us to deal with friction this way. Okay? That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 when he challenged his followers to talk with one another when they hurt each other. That's so different from what we typically do, right? If I hurt Sam, Sam's more than likely going to talk to everybody else about what I said, but not come talk to me. And that's not because Sam's a dirtbag. It's because Sam's just a normal guy. Our natural tendency is to, to, to not deal with the issue and share it with other people. Go to Facebook. Right? You ain't going to believe what somebody said to me today. A little subtweet on Facebook, right? It exists. Some of y'all are quiet because it's you, okay? But that's wrong. That's not how God calls us to deal with our issues. We immediately take our conflicts to other people and start fussing. Jesus said, take it directly to the person quickly and with humility and forgiveness and work to right the relationship. Listen, if you are prone to mishandle friction in your relationships, Matthew 18 is your study for the week. That's your homework, okay? Go home, study it, and then follow it. Do what it says. But that's not what the passage is about, okay? Um, Paul doesn't walk us through a step-by-step way to deal with conflict. Um, Instead, he really just provides this um, three reasons why we must handle conflict well. So number two, we're going to dive into, really it's number two that has three points below it, okay? So friction between believers must be handled in-house, okay? We've got to handle our conflict with one another in-house, here at the church. Paul's whole argument is that there is absolutely no reason for conflicts between believers to be evident to the world outside. He gives three reasons. The first one is this. We are now eternal creatures, all right? Paul begins by reminding his readers of who we are in Christ. Look at verses 1 through 5 again. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to the court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? That word saints is important. It's talking about all Christians. Don't think of the Catholic term saints, that you've got to do something to, a, to be a saint. The Bible calls all of us saints. And so he says, take, how, why could you not handle this among the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the court? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between believers? Now there are some odd statements in this, okay? Honestly, there are some there are some phrases and statements in here that have no other basis in the rest of the Bible uh, about judging angels. There are some things that you can you, you can go and study this. I studied it this week, and here's what I walked away with. I don't know the answers to all the questions that you have about this verse, but here's the good thing: you're welcome to study it, and you can invite me for coffee and buy me a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about it or lunch. I prefer lunch, but whatever. Um, <laughs> But you're welcome to study it because there's some neat stuff in here. But here's the point. 
It's not the point. See, oftentimes when we study the Bible, it's good to study into all the details and study, but we cannot, even as we're studying something, we've got to study the right things. We've got to give ourselves over to the right things. Paul's point is not, what does it mean to judge angels? Paul's point is that as believers, Christ has set us apart for an eternity that is so much bigger than what we're experiencing here on earth. We can miss the forest for the trees as we're studying the Bible. See, when we trust in Christ, Paul says, God places part of himself within us to help us, lead us, and guide us to focus on the eternal things. Paul's argument is that if God is preparing us for eternal things that matter greatly, how much more simply can we handle the things of this world? Right? Earthly things that don't even matter that much. Paul says we're going to be reigning and ruling with and through Christ for all of eternity and we can't handle a little conflict between one another? What in the world? You see the polar opposites. God is giving us his wisdom to understand the world from his perspective. Do you see that? That's what part of Christianity is, is God giving us and imparting to us his wisdom so that when we look around at the world, we see the world the way God does. And we forfeit that. Sorry, I spit. We forfeit that wisdom for our own wisdom and we get consumed with the things of the world. Way too many Christians choose to live in their own wisdom and get their proverbial drawers in a cinch, okay, over little issues that arise in their life. We're a backwards thinking people, aren't we? God has, God has so much more for us. Now, I want to read you, uh, in my preparation, I've got a, a commentary on 1 Corinthians that I use, and it, guy, the guy who wrote it, I don't agree with everything he says, but he, he does a good job with it. Gordon Fee is his name, and uh, one of the things that he says is this. Um, I think the quote's going to be on the screen. Bear with me. We're going to skip over some of it, okay? Crucial to the whole argument is Paul's view of the church as an eschatological community, Okay? Again, we're not getting into studying this, but he's talking about a future community, a future uh, people who are going to exist forever, whose existence as God's future people absolutely determines its life in the present age. In light of these realities, matters of everyday life are trivial, and the pagan courts who concern themselves with such trivialities are themselves trivialized. He says, man, we got bigger fish to fry. We're focused on it. We should be focused on eternal things. These trivial little things that we fight and fuss about don't even matter. He says this, the reason we don't hear it this way is that we lack a biblical self-understanding, especially in terms of the essential eschatological framework of our existence as the people of the future who are to be totally conditioned by that future as we live in the present. What that means There is a future that is planned for us that God has. We are in his presence. We are reigning and ruling with Christ and through Christ. All of this stuff is going to happen. And that future that is securely fixed in Christ should change the way that we live on this earth. And it should change the way we view conflict. So what Paul is saying, why should we not allow friction to lead to major conflict? Because we are eternal creatures now who should be dwelling on eternal things and not the pettiness of this world. 
The second thing that Paul says is that we are to be witnesses to those outside. Paul seems most upset that these Christians are carrying their conflicts to the courts of unbelievers. Now listen to what he says. I say this to your shame, verse 5. Can it be that there's not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. As it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Do you see what Paul's thought is? Great. You got this unresolvable conflict with a brother. And you're going to go try to win a court case or win an argument or win a whatever. He says, you know what happens when you carry your court case or your argument into the lives of lost people? You both lose. And so does the church and the gospel. That's Paul's argument. Why in the world are we carrying our, our, our issues before lost people? You see, most cities in the first century were laid out with a center, like a, a, a city center for the gathering of people. This is where the marketplace would be with vendors of all kinds. And the courts would also be there. And so um, the, in, there in the center of the city would be what is called in the Greek the bema, Okay, this was a raised platform for judges or orators to stand during law proceedings. Okay, we still have our judges still stand or sit on elevated platforms today. It all comes back to this time period, okay? So therefore, those who were having a dispute would be brought out into broad daylight into the center of the city to have it out in court. Imagine that. Imagine that. Their case is being heard right in the middle of the marketplace. Paul is saying that it does more harm than good to the cause of Christ and his church. Everyone in the city is seeing these two believers who preach that this world is not our home, that we cannot be consumed with the things of this world. We are supposed to be loving and forgiving because of the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. But instead of all of that, We are fighting with one another in public over property and possessions that we claim don't even matter. Right? That's that's what Paul's saying. Do you see the irony in this? Paul says it's better, listen to this, Paul says it's better to just be wronged or cheated than to take your issue into the lives of lost people. He says it's better off if you just go, you know what? He did me wrong or he said something ugly to me. At the end of the day, it ain't going to matter. And just move on. Now, there's a lot of humility in that, okay? And there are some things that are done wrong to us that that might need to be, especially issues of abuse and things like that. Like I'm not saying don't report those things, okay? We need to report those things when, it, when, when a law has been broken. But when it comes to conflicts and issues with one another, why in the world... Are we talking to our, our uh, again, you're probably not, you're probably never sued anybody in the church and you may not ever. But do you carry your conflicts with people inside the church to those outside the church? Have you ever vented, vented about an issue within the church to an unbelieving family member, friend, or coworker? Right? You're guilty of exactly what Paul says. You're carrying your conflict to the marketplace. So let me ask you, if you've ever done that, and a lot of us probably have, what was accomplished? Right? What was accomplished? 
Do you think your conversation brought that lost person to Christ or did it push them away? That's Paul's argument. We can't get along with one another and we're talking to lost people about it and all we're doing is showing them that we're a bunch of hypocrites who don't even know, don't even love each other. When friction occurs in the church, we must deal with it quickly and personally because we are to be witnesses to the lost. That's Paul's argument. And then he gives them the biggest reminder ever. Point number three or C, we have been made new. He ends this section of the letter by pointing to some of the sins that existed in Corinth that were blinding people to the truth of the gospel. It's a list of sexual sins, sins of greed, and others of just abuse. And Paul reminds them of this in verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. And praise God he didn't quit there. Because <laughs> that's a downer. It's a reminder to you if you're a Christian. Hey, you used to be a dirtbag and you still kind of toe the line. <laughs> but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Paul reminds his readers that these sins are not to be what define us any longer. God has saved and redeemed us from this lifestyle of our past. He says that we have been washed. Baptism has always, even in the Jewish faith, long before Jesus uh, came and was born, baptism has always served as a symbol of the forgiveness of sins. When Paul says you've been washed, he's talking about the forgiveness of sins. Remember, Church, you've been forgiven of all your past sins and all your future sins. And then he says, you've been sanctified, which is the idea of being made holy in God's eyes. Even though you and I don't feel holy, as we prayed as a, with the worship team, I, don't, I never feel worthy to stand before you and open God's word because I know the sin in my life. Y'all don't know it all, but God does. But what I do know is that I've been sanctified. I've been made holy in God's eyes because of Christ's work on the cross. And then the third thing he says, justified, which is a legal word, which means the removal of guilt and being made innocent. Justified, being made right in God's eyes legally. Before Christ changed us by his blood, we had reason to act a fool and stir up trouble and conflict. But now for those of us that are in Christ, we must remember that we have been set free from the bondage of our sin and have been raised to live a loving life of forgiveness towards others. Paul makes a really good case that there is no reason for us to allow the inevitable friction that's going to occur. This is going to happen, but it doesn't have to cause explosions which would have been the balloon exploding, okay, that you wouldn't let me do, all right? Just kidding. And he gives us these three reasons for why we should handle it well. We are eternal creatures who are now supposed to be living for eternal things. We're to be witnesses to those outside, and when they see us fighting, our witnesses hurt, and we have been made new so as to live differently now. You see, church, friction will occur at East. Um. But we have the choice of how to handle it. You have the choice of how to handle it. There will be conflict. You're going to get mad or somebody's going to get mad at you. But you have the choice of how to handle it. Will you handle it personally and lovingly? 
or will you explode or will you put it down and let it fester until you blow up one day? How we handle friction when it arises will guarantee whether we draw closer together as those balloons did or whether there's an explosion. As your pastor, I urge you to handle conflict with love and care. Um, and one-on-one as often as you can. Now, I know y'all are, we're all still learning each other, but just a heads up of how I believe God's called me as a pastor to lead. Um, I believe God's clear that when I have conflict with somebody um, in my circle, I go to them personally. Now, here's naturally what your response is, is when you have conflict with somebody is to bring it to me. It's not what God's word says. Um, So when you bring it to me, when you bring a conflict to me, my first response is going to be, have you talked to them yet? (laughs) And if your answer is no, I'm going to pray for you and ask God to give you courage to handle it. Um, If you haven't read Matthew 18, I encourage you to do it. It's very clear that that's the way we handle it first. So I just want to give you that heads up before you bring conflict to me. That's going to be my first response, okay? And then then if if that doesn't work and there's no reconciliation, there's no resolution, then, then the Bible says then we can begin to talk and pray together. But we've got to handle conflict because our Savior in Matthew 18 gives us a great outline for handling conflict. And again, that's your homework. If this is something you struggle with, go home and read that chapter. Because God, friction is going to happen, but I don't want to see it uh, lead to explosions in our church. So I don't know how God may have spoken to you today, but if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never been washed, sanctified, and justified, like that's the, that's the only way I can stand before you today, proclaim God's word, and then encourage you to handle conflict with one another properly because God has done that in my life. And so today, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to talk with you about that. We're going to have a, a, just a time of response. One more song that we're going to all sing together. And during that time, I'm going to stand down front uh, during the first part of that song. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you've been struggling with that, uh, whether you have or you, you just know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that's not you, you haven't been washed, sanctified, or justified, I would love to talk with you about how you can trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you have conflict with someone here, man, during this response time, you pray to God and ask for the courage to deal with it the way that God lays out. Um, that's, that's my prayer for you. That's, that's the way you can respond in faith during this invitation. Because listen, your conflict is hindering this body. Your conflict is hindering this body. I can remember, this isn't in my notes, so I'm going to step aside for a second. Um, I can remember a time when when uh, when my family um, had an issue with some people, and you know there was issues in my family, and it wasn't like extended third cousins; it was tight, like people we ate with all the time. And we continued to eat together because Grandma was there, and she wanted us all to eat together. <laughs> you know, you don't can't tell Grandma no, but the tension at the table is tough, isn't it? And see, a conflict, even if it doesn't involve the whole family, it involves the whole family. And the church is no different. If there's a conflict between you guys, and maybe maybe not even somebody in this bit, maybe it's somebody that comes to second service intentionally so they don't have to lay eyes on your ugly mug, right? (laughs) Whatever. Like, that issue, that conflict, as long as it goes unresolved, will affect this body. It just will. 
And so we need you to resolve the conflicts in your life. We are here to help you, but we're going to point you back to Matthew 18 so that you can handle it the way that God has told us to. And it also affects our witness in the world. That's what Paul said. Our conflicts affect our witness in the world. And so also during this time, if you just want to come and pray for our church to be a unified body moving forward, that may be how you, how you would respond today. Um, and also, uh, we got a new members class uh, that's coming up in the second service at 1045. If you're not a member and you say, hey, I don't know about this crazy preacher, but I like this church and I'd like to maybe be a part of this, at least hear about who we are as a church, um, we'd love to give you a cup of coffee and a bottle of water and let you wait for that second service and be a part of that from 1045 to 12. Um, we've already got several, about four or five couples that are going to be over there uh, being a part of that. And so, man, we would love for you to find out more about our church. There's no commitment for you to join. Um, after you finish that class, but there will be an opportunity for you to, to join after that class. And so however you feel led to respond, worship team, y'all come on up. I'm going to voice a prayer, and uh, you just respond as God leads, okay? After I pray, we'll all stand, we'll sing, um, and you talk to God in your own heart. Um, I'll get these balloons too, bud, um, so they don't blow around everywhere. Um, so let's pray together, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we love you, and God, we know... Um, that, God, apart from, from your spirit in us and your word before us, God, that we would make a mess of things. And uh, But, God, you have given us your spirit, and you have given us your word. And so, God, help us as believers. Um, God, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, God, help us to handle conflict well when it arises. Because, um, God, you haven't, you haven't promised us that conflict won't arise. In fact, you've probably said the opposite in your word. But, God, we do have an opportunity to handle it well, and you've given us a great outline. So, Father, I pray um, that we wouldn't carry our issues before uh, the world, but, God, that we would quickly and personally and with love and humility handle our conflicts with one another. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, if there's anybody here who's never been washed, sanctified, justified, and trusted in you, God, I pray that they would come forward today uh, to get that right and, God, leave here a completely new person than when they came in. Father, we trust you and we lay all this at your feet. In Jesus' name.